rebuked, they fled at the sound of your thunder, they took to the flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they may not again cover the earth. You make springs gasp forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their tears. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and the plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and the wine to gladden the heart of man, all to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the, the birds build their nest, the stork has her home in their fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it's night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. This all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gathered it up. When you open the hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Thank you very much, Arnell. Not a short psalm, is it? Did a great job, though. And uh, our current sermon series is all about the Psalms. Summer in the Psalms is where we find ourselves going through a select few Psalms. And the sermon title for today is this, Our Maker, Provider, Sustainer, and Savior. And it's amazing that when it comes to describing and getting a picture of who the God of the Bible is, uh, these four descriptors or names of God are so massive and, and powerful uh, but they're just a small sampling of all the various names of God that we see in the Bible. And my point is, it's difficult to find a human comparison to God with these four names. To, you know, to find someone who is a maker and provider, sustainer and savior. Except for the closest thing that I could come up with is our parents. 
Our parents do these things in much, a much lesser way than God does. But uh, let me talk about my late parents just for a second. Uh, according to, to God's design, uh, mom and dad made me. And I don't want to get into details because the gag reflex will kick in. But they, they made me and they made you, all right? That's just kind of how it works. Then, beyond that, uh, God provided for, for me. And you may know that I was raised on a farm in Grand Prairie, middle of nowhere. And we, we as a family, we grew and raised a lot of our own food in the farm, self-sustaining in a lot of ways. Uh, but mom and dad made that provision happen. They planted the potatoes and rounded us up to plant those potatoes and raspberries and strawberries and chi- there was chickens and cows and, and some ducks there and we had our own eggs and mom and dad provided for us kids because there were six of us and we ate a lot and they needed to provide work really hard in that way. So they, were, they provided for us. Then mom and dad sustained us. In other words, they kept our family going in various ways. Uh, they kept things they woke us up to go to school so that we would actually finish school. And then they took us to church to ensure that Jesus was central to our lives. And they, they ensured that we celebrated family occasions like Christmas and Easter and uh, birthdays. And they really sustained our family, kept our family going. And lastly, my dad kind of fits the bill as a savior of sorts. Again, nowhere near the savior that Jesus is. But dad, there was one time where my dad saved us three boys. There was four of us, but he saved the three of us. We had the brilliantly dumb, nasty idea to, to float down a river on these little cheap tube boats. And we thought, let's float down the river for 30 or 40 miles on a hot summer day. And we'll start midday. And uh, it'll only take us three to six hours to get to our destination 30 or 40 miles downstream. Uh, it took more like 18 hours, if not more. And we arrived at our destination in the middle of the night when it was very, very cold. Guess who was waiting, though, at our pickup spot downriver with a flashlight, with an angry expression on his face, (laughs) and a running car with the heat on, full blast, dad, our savior in that moment. He was our savior that night, meaning no dad, probably no pastor here today, which you might actually appreciate. But anyhow... (laughs) As much as my parents and possibly your parents, they played the part of maker and sustainer and and provider and savior in your life in various ways, they could only play these roles in a very minute and comparatively small way in compared to who? In compared to the God of the Bible, the maker of us all. You see, God fulfills these roles not just for one family like your parents filled those roles for your own family, God does not fill that role for just one neighborhood like Clayton Heights here. God does not fulfill that role for just one city or just one nation or just one continent like North America. But God does these roles for the entire globe, the people of earth. And he has done it from the dawn, uh, uh, from, from eternity past to eternity in the future for billions of people in the past, billions of people today, billions of people in the future, billions of creatures in the past, present, and future as well. And really, this is the primary message of Psalm 104. And when you consider this, and you think about this, and you dwell on this truth, I pray that this will lead you, as it has led me, to a place of sort of deep and reverent, breathtaking awe at the greatness and the bigness 
of God, that we would bless the Lord, as the psalm says, with our souls, that we would desire to worship Him in a greater way, that we would desire to, to see Him in a greater way, that we would desire to praise Him with everything that we have. There's the introduction. Let me now move on to an, sort of an overview of Psalm 104 and give us a bit of a snippet and snapshot of what's going on in this psalm. A little bit of feedback going on. Is you guys hear that a little bit? I'm just a little sensitive and and a control freak. It's not good. Uh, thank you. Let me just share this overview of Psalm 104. Thank you, Magnus, for doing a great job. You might be familiar with the worship song that we often sing here at Mercy Hill called uh, 10,000 Reasons. Anyone know this song? Matt Redman is the author of it. And how does the chorus go? Uh, don't worry, I won't sing. Uh, I will talk the chorus. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And I'm pretty sure Matt Redman got this from this Psalm, Psalm 104. It's perfect because uh, Psalm 104 was originally sung as a song by the people of God, the Hebrew people back in the day, and it was done to inspire God's people to bless and honor and worship God. In fact, if you look at the entire book of Psalms, it's just one giant hymn book for God's people to teach us how to worship God and relate to God and get our eyes on God instead of on ourselves to rightly worship Him. Psalm 104 begins and ends with, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Okay, yeah, you're listening. And it's telling us in this psalm, it's wanting to prove to you and to me all the many reasons why we should bless the Lord at all, that we should speak well of God in our worship. One core reason why we should speak well of God, uh, according to the writer here, is to celebrate uh, all the ways that God's glory is displayed in creation, how God abundantly provides for all living things, including you and I, every single day. One last thing in the overview. Some Bible scholars uh, believe that when you look at the structure of Psalm 104, that it's actually structured around uh, the six days of creation when God made the world. And I have a chart for you. Some of you love charts, not many, but some. Here's a chart uh, for you on the screen, and it sort of outlines day one. It talks about that in in verse two, day two, two be to four, and so on and so forth. And likely the psalmist had Genesis chapter one and two in mind when he wrote this psalm. And so that's kind of cool. All right. What I want to do now, I want to shift to, let's examine in more detail uh, and summarize uh, verses 1 through 4 of Psalm 104. It does help to have Psalm 104 in front of you, whether it's in your Bible or or on your smartphone. There's sermon outline as well in your bulletin. And the psalmist begins this psalm by instructing his own soul, would you bless the Lord? Bless means to kneel, to submit to, to worship, to to praise and to revere and to worship. That's what he's telling his soul to do in this moment. And shortly after our souls, souls, by the way, being your whole person, who you are as a person, and you're blessing the Lord with everything you are, with your soul, then he lays out the various reasons why in the world we should bless the Lord, all right? And he does this throughout the rest of the psalm, and then these will become points one through five in your outline. And the first basic reason for why I should bless the Lord, for why you should bless the Lord if you follow Jesus, is because, the, because of the Lord's dwelling place in heaven, the place where God is at this very moment. His dwelling place is breathtaking. I mean, it's just so beautifully poetic to see verses 1 through 4 if you actually try to 
visualize what he's describing. You see, God and his home, they are great. They are filled. He is filled with royal splendor and majesty since he alone is the ultimate king of the universe. He is filled with glorious blinding light. Then it sounds like the psalmist, he imagines the Lord's home where he dwells as being in the heavens, like up in the sky, all right? And the beams of God's home are like massive Douglas fir beams that you might see in a structure, a massive structure here in lower mainland B.C. Um, And the beams of heaven are sort of located on top of the water that you find in the clouds. Then the clouds serve as the Lord's chariot, his transportation system, if you will, riding on the wind. And then it speaks of the Lord's servants, his angels, his messengers who do the Lord's work and get God's messages conveyed to God's people. And notice that his messengers, these angels, are enveloped in a flaming fire. Isn't that amazing? And all of these things are mentioned. Why? Why do you think the psalmist mentions these things about God and about his home? Here's why. To captivate your imagination with the sheer bigness and the sheer majesty of God and how great he is. And that leads us to the first reason why you and I should bless the Lord if we follow God. And number one is simply this. Bless the Lord because of his royal greatness and his breathtaking heavenly home. Let me flesh this out a little bit. Let me ask you this. Does anyone know who owns or what is the most expensive home or dwelling in the world? Anyone know? What would be the most expensive house in the world? Sorry? Some place in Dubai. Okay. All right. That was mentioned. It's in the list. Anyone else? Okay, yeah. I'm sorry? It, it's on the list as well, it's, but it's not number one, probably. Anyone else? One more chance. The Vatican? Oh, that's a good guess. It's on the, that wasn't on the list, actually. Buckingham Palace, okay, where the queen lives, all right? And there's some argument about that, but that's the understanding, okay? Um, about where, or about the most expensive home in the world. It's technically a house, by the way. It's not a palace, but more a house. And it's not for sale. So if you have $1.5 billion of which it's worth, uh, you can't buy it. The queen lives there, and she's not going anywhere. All right? I mean, she's hanging in there for dear life. And uh, so $1.5 billion. It only has 775 rooms. It only has, beyond that, 52 bedrooms. It only has, beyond that, 188 staff rooms. And beyond that, it only has 92 offices. And then lastly, and perhaps most importantly, it only has 78 bathrooms. Only 78 bathrooms. Yeah. And if you visit, has anyone been there in the room? Buckingham Palace, a few of you? I think no one wants to admit it. Okay. A few of you, maybe. It's a beautiful place from what I understand. And if you actually uh, go there... um, you might actually have the opportunity to see the queen if it happens to be a good day. I don't know if she comes out once in a while, but anyhow, let's imagine you actually get, you go there and you actually get to see the queen of England, all right? The queen of the commonwealth. 
And if, even if you see her from a distance, that just might take you, if you're actually pro-monarchy, just over the top with enthusiasm, with awe. I got to see the Queen. I got to see Buckingham Palace. And you might be saying, I finally have seen with my own eyes the most expensive and beautiful home in the world. And then I finally got to see perhaps the greatest monarch in the world. And I can die now. I can just die now. Take me outside the back of the barn. And anyhow, here's the thing. With all due respect to the monarchy, I'm actually pro-monarchy. If you're Australian, you're probably not. But with all due respect, Buckingham Palace nor the Queen, they do not hold a candle to the bigness, to the royal greatness, to the captivating beauty, to the captivating majesty of the Lord and His ultimate heavenly home. He is greater and His home is greater because His home is eternal. That Buckingham Palace is not eternal. It's coming down at some point. His home, though, is eternal. And this is the kind of God, uh, the kind of great and royal uh, d divine person that we serve, whom we follow if we're a Christian. Therefore, let us. It's a privilege to bless and honor Him for His royal greatness. It's an honor and privilege to praise and worship Him because of who He is and because of where He dwells. And this is a place that He will invite us into, in and through Christ. What a gift. What a privilege. That's point number one. Let's now move on to the next section, verses 5 through 9. And if you look at verses 5 through 9, it's all about uh, how the Lord, the maker of all things, He has set bounds and parameters for land and for sea. Since He's the creator of the world, He designed it just so. You see, He set the Lord's foundations, okay? He covered the earth with waters and oceans, he put them right where he wanted them. So meaning the Fraser River is exactly where God wanted it. It's right where he put it, okay? Alouette Lake, that's the lake. He put it right there, okay, according to his own ultimate design. So why did God put the water in a certain place? Why did he put the land in a certain place of which we're all sitting on or finding ourselves on right now? We are all on land, thanks be to God. Why did he put the land and the water in these certain places? Here's why. So that all creatures, humans and animals, that we would have a place to live in, thrive in, dwell in, made just for us. Everything has been made on earth with God's ultimate precision. He's like an expert architect making and forming this ultimate building for us to live in. He's like a Swiss watchmaker. Apparently, Swiss watchmakers are very finely detailed in terms of how they construct and put these watches together. But this is how God has put together our earth where we find ourselves living and breathing today. Isn't that cool? That's how great He is. And that leads us to point number two in your notes on the outline. Simply, bless the Lord. Second reason for blessing the Lord is this. Bless the Lord because of how reliable, how safe, and how suitable His created world for us is. Bless the Lord because of how reliable, safe, and suitable His created world for us is. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, the world sometimes is not safe. It seems rather like it's corrupt in some ways. And, it, and you know, there's some, there's some darkness in our world today. And I would say, yes, it, you're right. It, it, things are dangerous at times. The world is broken because of human sin. It goes back to Genesis chapter 3, okay? But in the big picture, yes, our world is a reliable, is a safe, 
is a very suitable place for you and I to live in and thrive in, and all of God's creatures to live in and thrive in as well. And you see, this is God's goodness to you. This is God's grace to you and I as well. In fact, one of the strongest arguments for the existence of God to prove that there actually is a God over and above all from where we all come from uh, is to look at how many just right for life, just right for life conditions our earth and universe possesses to, to examine and to see how finely tuned, just like a finely tuned instrument, we're, there's a bass guitar over there. If Jerry did not finely tune that instrument, it would sound terrible. Same thing with this guitar and that guitar. In like manner, God has finely tuned our universe to work just so, in just the right way, in order for us to live and, and to thrive and for life to exist in our universe. Did you know there's more than 100 just right uh, conditions uh, that our universe, universe possesses in order for life to, to live and to, to thrive today? Uh, I want to show you just a small sampling of these just right for life conditions. I've shared these many years ago, and I'm sharing a few of them uh, today as well. I want to talk to you about the force of gravity. Some of you are physicists, and you would appreciate that the force of gravity is constant, and it's constant because of God's design. It's a law of physics that we see in our universe. And if the force of gravity was any stronger, stars would be too hot to sustain life, and if it was any weaker, which is the force that keeps us on this ground, by the way, the, the fact that we're not just floating around right now, that's the force of gravity working for us. If it was any weaker, um, that would mean the elements needed for life chemistry would never form, okay? That's a scientific answer. So that is God's finely tuned universe at work and on display. Secondly, the speed of light. It's very fast. And if the speed of light, light though, was any faster, stars would be too bright to support life. But if the speed of light was any slower, stars would not be bright enough to sustain life. So it's just right. All right. Thirdly, we have the color of the sun. Did you know that if the, the sun was any redder or bluer, photosynthesis, which is the, the way that plants produce food from light, that would not be possible. So plants would not exist. And you might be thinking, well, if there's no plants, there's no salad. So that actually wouldn't be too bad. But actually, no, we need plants because animals generally eat plants. I try to eat a few. You guys eat some plants at home? We eat some veggies, right, once in a while? Yeah, ish. Uh, so anyhow, uh, that's a good thing. So we need plants, and it's all based on the color of the sun. Next, the, the Earth's distance from the sun is just so. If the Earth was any farther from the sun, it would be too cold for a stable water cycle to occur. And if it was too close, the planet, our Earth planet, would be far too hot for a stable water cycle. Next one, the axial tilt of the Earth. If greater or less, surface temperature differences would be far too great. Another one, oceans to continent ratio. If there were larger or smaller oceans, diversity and complexity of life forms would be limited. So the amount of oceans that we have and the amount of land that we have is just so finely tuned by guess who? The ultimate architect of the universe. And these are just sort of the tip of the iceberg just right for life conditions that we see in existence on our planet. And there's many more. So how is this possible? How is earth just right for life? Because the Lord designed it that way. Designed it to be a reliable place for us to live. Designed it to be a safe place for you and I to live. Designed it to be a suitable place for us to live and thrive and function. That's how good he is. 
that he would design it just so like a finely tuned instrument and therefore would you bless him for that would you honor him for that would you remember and be reminded that oh yeah there is a god and he finely tuned our universe he deserves me blessing him and giving him something back for a change our worship let's move on we're going to now move on to the next section verses 10 to 18 and 25 to 30 this is a big section but we're going to look at this very quickly and here in these verses we see the psalmist uh, he's moving from inanimate things that the lord has made for us to animate things now creatures all right you're a creature did you know that god is the creator we are the creatures he made us and we're going to look now at how well and how good god cares for us and provides for us did you know that god gave you the water for your coffee this morning all right don't we all love coffee or some of us love coffee shouldn't have just assumed that everyone loves coffee um that came from god okay uh, he makes he gives us all water that we need and not just human beings but all creatures the birds reptiles, snakes, whales, all of that. All of that water is given to them by God. God also makes grass grow for our livestock, our crops, our food, and wine, and oil for you and I to eat and to enjoy. And the Lord is so good that He even cares for the trees. Remember the Lorax? Have you ever seen the movie The Lorax? He would appreciate that God cares for the, the trees. I don't know if he's an atheist or a believer or not. Uh, but He cares for the trees even the trees. And he also, beyond that, cares for the mysterious sea creatures that perhaps human eyes have never laid eyes on as of yet. He even cares for them, provides for them, gives them the water and the food that they need to, uh, to, to function and to thrive. Uh, he cares for them too. And that leads us to point number three on the outline if you're following along. Simply this, bless the Lord because all creatures everywhere depend on his provision and care. All creatures which we sang today. Did we not sing that song today? All creatures everywhere depend on His provision and His daily care. All right? It's a, it's a mind-blowing thing to think that everything that we see that is alive in our world today depends on and is being sustained by and is being provided to by God above. He is central to everything. Therefore, let's bless and honor His name. Let me give you an example. I'm going to talk about parents for a second. And if you have a child, is it easy or difficult when that child arrives on the scene? Is it difficult to raise that child? Or was it? Yes, yes, it was tough. It was, it was difficult, rewarding, yes, I think, I hope. Amazing, you know, when that child arrives and it starts screaming. Isn't that great? It's challenging, it's rewarding, it's a wonderful thing that you get to be a part of that creative process that God allows you to be uh, involved in. Uh, but you will be challenged with this new child like you have never been challenged before, and I think that's a good thing. Now, let's say you have a second child, okay, the second crying child that shows up on the scene. You've now multiplied the crying. The, you've multiplied the challenge. It's times two. Things get harder. Things get busier. Yes, there's more reward. Yes, there's more joy, probably, but there's more challenge, right? Then, let's say you have another child, perhaps another child after that. Then perhaps another child after, I don't know what we're up to now, eight or nine or so, okay? And on and on it goes. And on and on, on and on goes the challenge, right? It's difficult. In fact, did you know that the world record holder for giving birth to children is a woman from Russia in the 1800s, and she had 69 children. She had 69 children. Okay, I didn't research this too deeply or greatly, but... Assuming this is true, 
69 kids. Think of the grandchildren. Crazy. Christmas would be nuts. All right? So just to put yourself in her place. I don't know where she's at in this picture. It's probably the most tired-looking pers person that uh, is in that photo. And imagine raising, caring for, providing for, counseling 69 children. Sounds impossible. But she did it. And she did it with help. I think dad's in the mix there somewhere. And probably some friends and family. Okay? But very busy. And we're amazed. How could anyone have 69 kids and care for that many kids? But in a much greater way. See where I'm going? Imagine caring for 7 billion, 7.7 billion kids that are in the world today. Imagine caring for, in addition to that, billions of animals and creatures that we see or don't even know exist yet. Billions of plants, billions of trees. Imagine you give them all the water they need, all the food and the sustenance that they need, all the sunshine they need, all the shelter they need in order to survive and to thrive. Would you be impressed by someone like that? Would you bless them? Would you worship them? Because you see, this is the kind of daily care and daily provision that all creatures everywhere receive from our good and gracious God. And so it's good for, for you and for me to be reminded of this truth that your coffee came from God this morning. Your breakfast ultimately came from God this morning. Your clothing ultimately comes from God this morning. Your family members come from God this morning. Your plants in your garden come from God. Everything you have, everything we have, everything good that we get to enjoy in our lives to help us thrive and live and survive come from God. Therefore, let us bless and worship and magnify His great name. It's a great sin to forget that he, everything we have is from him. But let us remember. Let us give him something back. Recognition of this great, marvelous truth. All right, for the sake of time, I'm not going to explain and unpack uh, verses 19 to 24. On your outline are some notes from the ESV Study Bible if you want to read sort of the commentary on those notes. And I'll very quickly give you point number four if you want to fill in those blanks. Because if we left those blanks unfilled... Horrible things would happen, right? Uh, but number four is simply this. Bless the Lord because he governs our daily rhythms of day and night. So we have morning and we have evening because of God, right? So there's the point. We'll just leave it there for you to quickly jot that down. And then we're going to move on to verses 31 to 35 as we bring this message in for a landing. In this last few verses, they are really the summit, the, the mountaintop of this psalm. Everything is leading up towards the end, and, and now the psalmist is rejoicing in God. He is singing to God. He is glorifying to God, or he's glorifying God because he's captivated at God's bigness and his greatness and his goodness. And then, though, out of the blue, the psalmist gets really negative. And do you like negative people? Don't you love it when people... Everything's going so well, and then they just lay a big negative on you. And you're just like, thanks a lot for that, you know. Uh, but basically, here's what the psalmist says. He gets all negative, and the thing is, though, he's right to bring up the negativity in this psalm. And he says, essentially, let sinners be consumed from the face of the earth. Let sinners be eradicated. Let the wicked be no more. That's what he's now saying after this glorious, beautiful, poetic song that he's written for God. 
And now you're thinking, if this is you, if he's eradicating sinners from the face of the earth, you might be thinking, if you're not yet a Christian, this is problematic. This is an issue. You're worried. It's like, he's talking about erasing me from the face of the world? I mean, or maybe you're a Christian like me. You battle sin. There's still remaining sin struggles and flesh desires that you do battle against every day. And, and you sinned already today multiple times. And you read this. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, great, I'm now sort of on the outs. He wants to eradicate me and erase the memory of me from this, this world. This psalm was going so well, and now it ends with this. Thanks a lot. But here's the thing. Here, let me explain this. This is likely a forward view to the new heavens and the new earth that God is providing for us or that is preparing for us at this very moment. And the new heavens, which are restored and transformed, um, Jesus will bring and usher in when he comes again at the consummation of all things and at the end of time. And you see, in this new heavens and this new earth, the place where every believer in Jesus will dwell and live and, and thrive with God and his people forever, the fact remains, in that new place, new heavens, new earth, there will be no more sinners. You know why? Because we're not sinning anymore in that future place. There's no more flesh desires. There's no more inward sort of focus any longer. It's gone. It's been erased. Sin is no more. Death is no more. Pain is no more. So no more sin, no more sinning. And the reason is, every person who finds themselves dwelling in this new heavens and new earth with Jesus forevermore, all of their sins have been erased by Christ himself. They've received the gift of eternal life, and they'll be in this place of restoration forevermore. So let me move to the gospel. The gospel is the main message of the Bible we talk about the gospel because it's the golden thread that runs all throughout that book from front to the very back, from Genesis to Revelation. And it's all about the gospel. It's all about pointing to what Jesus has done for us. And we see a bit of a sneak preview uh, pointing to this hope that Christ gives us in Psalm 104. And so here's the gospel. The good news about Jesus, uh, for, about how you can receive full and free forgiveness for all of your sins committed in the past, sins committed today, sins committed in the future. It comes uh, from Jesus, and he is the giver of eternal life. The Bible is very clear that God chose to rescue you. He chose to rescue me from me. He chose to rescue you from you and from remaining sin desires. He chose to rescue you from being separated from him forevermore from being eradicated from this new heavens and this new earth and not being able to receive that. He didn't like that, so he made a way possible for you to know him and to have a relationship with God through his Son. And the way that God rescued the world was he sent Jesus to earth, to this place where we live 2,000 years ago, and he sent Jesus to live your perfect life for you in your place because you can't live perfectly, nor can I. But Jesus did that for us in our place. Then at the end of Jesus' earthly life, Jesus died on that cross for your sins in your place. Jesus paid the full wages of sin, which is death, for you. That's how much you mean to him. That's how much he loves you. And he's proven that great love for you when he died in your place for your sins, even though he himself never once sinned. Three days later, what happened? Jesus rose up from the dead to defeat forevermore your sins, impending death and hell, and your worst enemy, Satan himself. Jesus did all of that. He accomplished salvation for you. He is our Savior. 
And he now gives us that hope to, to receive forgiveness, to receive this hope of new heavens and new earth in your future. And that leads us to our final point. Let me close by giving you point number five in your notes, simply this. Bless the Lord because he's not only provides for our physical needs, but our spiritual needs for grace and forgiveness of sin through faith in our Savior, uh, Jesus. If you would like to talk more about that next step towards Jesus, let's talk after the service today or talk to a, a Christian that you know here today as well. But don't leave it alone. This is the most important decision you can ever make. And so I ask you, I beg you, have a conversation about this next step towards Jesus. You need hope in your life. You need forgiveness of all your sins. And he offers that to you if you would just turn to him and trust in him. Let's pray together. We're so grateful that you're not only a God who provides for our basic needs, and not just our needs in this room, but all the needs of all the people everywhere in, on the globe as we speak, and all creatures, and all trees, and all vegetation. So you provide for us physically, but you also provide for us spiritually. And Jesus, you are the one who saves us from ourselves. You save us from a future where we would be otherwise eradicated and not allowed to enter in to the new heavens and the, and the new earth. And so we're grateful for your cross. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. As our, in our place, as our substitute, we don't have to undergo God's punishment. You underwent that for us, and we're deeply and truly grateful, Lord. Thank you for the hope that you give us. And we just worship you. We bless your name. We honor you. We get our eyes, our hearts, our minds on you in this moment, just expressing our gratitude for all that you've done for us each and every day and also through your son Christ. In Christ's name, amen. Response. We're going to respond to God's word in three words. <laughs>